Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is quite practical and contemporary that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in your daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. There are certain kinds of ants that have an absolute passion for the sweet glandular substance given off by a caterpillar of a large blue butterfly. Now that may sound strange to you, but for them it's, it's like a feasting meal. And they become so addicted to that sweetness of that substance that the ants will surround the caterpillar and then transport the caterpillar to their nest so they can feed on that particular substance all the time. But what they don't know is the caterpillar's only food is ant larvae. And so unknowingly to them, they like the substance, they enjoy it so much, they want more of it, they bring the caterpillar in and without realizing, they bring in death for the entire colony. You know, temptation is just like that. It will attract us with lights, colors, glittering, beautiful things. It will sound and and appear sweet and pleasant. But then there's a dart connected with it that will pierce our hearts. And before we know it, not only we are addicted to that, but we are in a path of death. Well, the book of Proverbs that we just read today gives us some extremely important lessons about that. In fact, it isolates and uh, identifies for us five great triggers of temptation. They are attitude, people, places, times, and things. As you can see, it's nothing super scientific. It's nothing supernatural or superhuman. They're five simple things. Very simple things. Your attitude, people, places, times, and things. But before, before I put my attention on that, I would like to remind you what, def- what temptation is and how it is defined in Scripture. And we find a definition of temptation in James chapter 1 and verses 12 to 18. Where is written, James 1 and verse 12, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. 
So immediately, James here gives us a very important truth. God does not tempt us. So when you hear certain people who are addicted to certain sinful behaviors tell you that God made me this way, there's nothing I can do about it, it's a lie. It is not true because God does not tempt anyone with evil. Now, does God allow temptation to come upon us? Yes, absolutely he does. Jesus Christ himself was tempted. There was a reason for that temptation. And temptation itself, as James points out here in the next few words, temptation itself is not sin. Now, we can understand that quite easily. Jesus Christ was tempted and yet without sin. That means the temptation he was exposed to in itself was not sin. Now, I need to say this because I know the number of people I work with and I counsel have this problem. They think that if they overcome sin, they will never be tempted with that sin again. But that's not true. Temptation is part of being human. But in and by itself is not sin. In fact, let's read on. Verse 14 in James 1. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lusts. You see, it's not God that gives us that temptation. It's our own lusts that work within us. That desire, just like those ants desire the sweetness of, that, of those secretions and take the caterpillar in their nest. And without knowing, they take death into their nest. So we, with our own lusts, with our own desires, are carried away and enticed by them. And even then, at that point, to that point, it is not yet sin. It is when we accept that, it's when we start giving in to that, that it can turn into sin. Verse 15, then when the lust has conceived, notice it's a lust, our own lust, that conceived that sin within ourselves, and that conceiving, it means it's a work of the mind. We begin to fantasize. We begin to imagine what we want. And at that time, it gives birth to sin. Notice at this stage, it's not yet an action. It is a thought. Can we sin with our thoughts? And the answer is yes. Once we give in to the temptation, once we welcome the temptation, once we start fantasizing on that temptation, when we start desiring with all our being, it is already sin. Jesus Christ says, if you see a woman out there and you look upon her, or a man for that matter, and you look upon her to desire her, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. Is there such a thing as a sin of the heart? Absolutely. But then, as we sin with the heart... As our heart is given in to the temptation, then the next stage will be that that sin is going to be worked out in action. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death, says James. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So there's a good news in there too. We find that God allows us to be tempted, but he is not the one doing the tempting. As James points out, our own lusts are the source of temptation. And then he reminds us, he reminds us of the fact that the God is the source of every good gift. And elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 10, he, he also tells us in verse 13 that with every trial, with every testing, with every temptation that he allows us to see and to face, he will always give us a way out so that we can endure it. He will never test us. He will never tempt us beyond what we can handle. So when people say, and that's one thing I hear many people say, you know, it was so strong of a temptation, I just couldn't help it. 
And I always ask him, you couldn't or you wouldn't? Because if you tell me I can't help it, then you're calling God a liar. Because God in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says he will never allow you to be tested or tempted beyond what you can handle. So if he allowed it, it means you can handle it. And that means you can. Now many people say, I can't, meaning I don't want to. I have given in to the temptation. I have allowed the temptation to take over me and to take over my desires and my mind, and therefore I want to act it out. But that is a different story, isn't it? That's the story of Proverbs chapter 7. So let's focus on our passage for today. We see it starts in verse 1 by appealing to us, to our attitude, because that's a first trigger. And he's calling us to be the kind of people that treasure the commandments of God, that treasure the instructions of God, keep my commandments and live, and my teachings, and as the apple of your eyes, bind them on your fingers, write them on the, ta- on the tablets of your heart, and say to wisdom, you're my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend, that they may keep you from an adulteress, from a foreigner who flatters with her words. Not as the attitude that the book of Proverbs is encouraging us to have. It's an attitude of a child of God. It's an attitude of an individual who says, I know that God wants my very best, and therefore I will listen to him. I won't listen to anybody else, but I will listen to him. The attitude is important. Notice, however, the the passage in Proverbs 7 continues, For at the window of my house I have looked out through my shutters, And I saw among the naive, again, he's talking about the attitude of this young man now in in this passage. I saw the naive. This young man had a naive attitude and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense. He didn't have even the common sense that that it would take for him to be spared. Now, attitudes as a trigger could come in many different ways. One attitude that really exposes us to sin is don't tell me what to do. I want to do what I want. Isn't that the message of Satan to Eve and Adam? He said, just find out for your own. You like that fruit, then take it. If you like it, it must be good, right? If it appeals to you, it must be good. So say the ants. Oh, they like that substance. It appeals to them. They want more of it. So Satan would say, go, take that caterpillar into your nest. By the way, does that illustration Make us think a little bit about what we bring home. What we allow to come into our houses. Does it remind us of Deuteronomy where it says, if you see the abomination, don't bring it into your home. And yet every day we switch a button and we bring in a great deal of abomination through computers, TVs, radios, and then people and things. But let's carry on. Attitude being a very important switch. Passing through the streets near the corner, and he takes the way to her house. Notice there, there is a place. There is a place mentioned in there. It's her house. If he had walked somewhere else, he would not have been tempted as he was. But because he chose to go by her house, there he finds another trigger to that temptation. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness, there's a certain time of day that these things occur. You don't see these women or these people going out in a bright daylight and noon or in the morning 
to do those things. You usually see them going out in the evening when it starts getting dark. But there is a time in there, and that time, that particular time of day, becomes another trigger. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong attitude. Verse 10, And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed like a harlot and cunning of heart. Here's another trigger, the wrong kind of people. Notice in verse 16, I have spread my couch with coverings, says that woman to entice this young man, with colored linens from Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon, with spices, with perfumes. And so now she's presenting the picture of luxury, a, a picture of pleasure, using things and objects that would be another trigger for this young man. And so now he's exposed to all five of those triggers. With many persuasions, she entices him with her flattering lips. She seduces him. She affects his attitude even more. And now this young man is in serious trouble. Verse 22, notice what Proverbs says. Suddenly he follows her. Oh, how many people I've heard telling me, I don't know what happened to me. I was doing okay. Yes, I know, I was kind of tempted, but I was doing okay. I was doing fine. I was resisting it. And then all of a sudden, I found myself in the middle of sin. And I say, suddenly? Oh, yeah. You come to understand it. You come to open your eyes suddenly. But you know that process started a long time before. It had been taking a while to get to that point. Just like for this young man. All of a sudden, he finds himself following her as an ox goes to the slaughter, as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces through his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know they will cost him his life. It's not a pretty picture, is it? And yet it is the same story that goes on time after time after time in our homes, in our streets, in our neighborhoods, in our society at large. But let me use another illustration that perhaps more of us can relate to. Let's say you have a problem with drinking. That is your temptation. That is your weakness. That is your weak spot. And you have those five great triggers always working around you. Let's assume for a second that you go to work. And you get off work at five. And then usually if... 5.30, you stop by a bar on the way home. You see your bar buddies, your friends from the bar. And they usually they offer you a drink. And one goes to two, and two goes to three, and then four, and five. And pretty soon you're stone drunk. And if everything goes well, you'll be able to get back to work the next morning. Now, what happened in there? Well, you see, there are all those five triggers in that illustration are right there at play. First of all, the attitude. Most times people that have drinking problems have this attitude, I, problem, I don't have a problem. Oh yeah, okay, occasionally you get a little too, go a little too far. I drink one too many. But I really don't have a problem. I can handle it. I can take care of it. Now remember, before I told you 1 Corinthians 10, 13, <clears throat> excuse me, says that God will never test you beyond what you can handle. Well, you see, the, the verse just before that, verse 12, says... 
Beware that when you think you stand, that's exactly when you're going to fall. And when these people have this attitude like, hey, I can handle it, already a red flag goes up in my mind. No, you can't, especially if you think you can. Because that's when you lower down your guard. That's when you think you're standing, and that's exactly when you're going to slip and fall. That's the first trigger. So they think they can handle it. They don't do anything else, and so off they go from work. At 5 o'clock, they get out of work, and they get in the car, and they take the same route. And they go by the bar places. The second trigger. And who do they see at the bar? Oh, right outside the bar is one of their best buddies, right? And he waves and hey, come on in. Third trigger, the wrong crowd, the wrong people. There are many passages in the book of Proverbs, by the way, that teach us about people and the kind of company that we choose to have around us and how those people can benefit us, but also how they can drag us to anger, to drunkenness and other problems like that. And so what this person does, he stops in the parking lot of the bar, goes and shakes hands with his buddy, and says, hey, I can handle it anyway. Nothing is going to happen to me here because I'm tough. I can take it. But how many triggers do we have already there? There are already three. Three out of five. It's bad news. One out of five is bad news. But three out of five? You're already in the trap. Now they said one time he stops at the bar. Just about every day. Around 530. That's when he gets to the bar, right? So you have times in there. The fourth trigger. And then you step inside the bar and you start seeing the lights, the bottle, the glass, the cards, or whatever else you have. And that's the fifth. And then suddenly, quote-unquote, suddenly that person finds himself drunk. It doesn't even know how he got that way. So what is the solution? Why do we expose ourselves to temptation in a way that we don't need to? Why do we have this attitude that we can handle it and we don't need God? We don't need his help. We don't need anybody else's help. I can handle it by myself. Watch. It reminds me of a joke of a young kid that just learned to go and ride a bicycle. And he went around the block. And the first time he went around the block, called to his mother and said, Look, Mama, without hands. And he went around the block again. And he, and he cried out to his mother. And he said, Look, Mama, without hands and without feet. Look how good I am. And the third time around the block, he went and he called Mama. Hey, Mama, look, without hands, without feet, and without teeth. <laughs> you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. First thing to correct is the attitude. And the attitude that Jesus Christ tells us to have is the attitude of an individual that knows the truth. Lord, I am a sinner. I am a sinner, and I cannot overcome sin on my own. I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your help. I need your guidance. I need the guidance of your people. I need the guidance of the body of Christ. I need the strength and the guidance of your people, Father, because I can't handle it by myself. And then God might send somebody that tells him, hey, there are five triggers out there you keep exposing yourself to. Don't do that anymore. Avoid them. Avoid those bodies, those people, because you know that every time you meet them, they'll offer you a drink, and then they will become a trap. It will sound good. It will feel good, because they're the only people that are giving you attention, right? And who else do you expect to give you attention if you keep behaving that way? Nobody else will. 
But if you start changing, if you start changing your attitude, you will see that God has people out there who will give you that attention, but in a positive way. They will give you that attention, but in an encouraging way. They will not encourage you to go back to another drink, but rather will encourage you to stand the course and fight the good fight and win that battle. And those are the people that we need to surround ourselves with, not the others. Notice that person goes to, from work, he goes home, going right, driving right in front of a bar. You know what my advice would be? You know what the book of Proverbs would say to do? Don't take that route again. Oh, but the other route adds two miles to my, to my road. And I say, so what? Do two extra miles. Do three extra miles. Do whatever you need to do, but don't go that road again. But it costs too much for the price of gas today. Hold it. Hold it. Now we're going back to trigger number one, attitude. Okay, because here we're finding excuses, aren't we? Because think how much money you're saving between the drinks, the fines, the prison time, the divorce, and think how much gas you can buy with that money. That's a lot less expensive to increase 10 miles rather than go by that place. So take another route. Big deal if it's wronger. But that's the right thing to do because it avoids another trigger. Watch out for 5.30 p.m. Because if that was a routine, that particular time of the day, that's the time you have your cravings, isn't it? That's a critical time. I call it critical time. And you've got to make sure that you're in the right place with the right people at that time. If you can't be with those people at any other time of the day, make sure you are with them at that 5.30 critical time because that's another trigger as well. And I've talked to many people that had that problem. And you know what? Every single one of them so far has confirmed that. I am not always tempted as strong as at certain times or in certain days of the week. One person had problems with drugs. His weak point was Saturday night. That was his drug day, drug time. That was critical time for him. And I said, you know what? If you don't do something different on Saturday nights, you will never get rid of that problem. You have to be somewhere else. You have to be with somebody else. You have to be accountable for that time because that is your critical time. And every time he did not do that, he fell back again into the same problem. Get rid of the things. I remember one time I go to the ACI, every, the Adult Correctional Institute, every Thursday. And one day in that group, in that chapel, one of the prisoners asked a question. And he said, I have this problem with sexual temptation. And I would like to ask you, how can I avoid that? How can I overcome it? The first question I ask him is, where do you keep the magazine? He didn't wait much longer. He said, under my pillow. And I said, brother, and you expect to overcome that problem and you keep that magazine under your pillow? You must be kidding me. <laughs> you must be joking. You're not serious about that. You can't be serious because you're fooling yourself and you're fooling God. Get rid of the magazine, first of all. Get rid of those things that will create a, a temptation. I had an individual who said, I, I'm quitting drugs. And the first thing I asked him, because I know what he was doing, I asked him, where do you put your paraphernalia? He says, well, I have it in my drawer. Ah, that's great. And you think you're going to quit, right? No way. You got to get rid of it. Get rid of those objects. Get rid of those things that will trigger 
Just like someone says, I stopped drinking, I will never drink, and it has a bottle right in front of them on the table, uh, uh, the kitchen table. It's not going to work. Or just like the man that came to counseling and says, I have an adultery problem, and I ask him, where is the key to your lover's house? It's right in my wallet. And I said, no. No. You will never make it if you keep that key. So you know what we do? We take the key, we take the picture, we don't take the magazine. <laughs> we don't take the bottle. But the key in the picture, we can. All right, We can take the key, we can take the picture, and we put it in a folder right there with the counseling notes, and we're going to say, this from now on is a symbol of your freedom. It will not move from here. And every time you attempt it, we'll look at this and say, I gave it up. Just like I gave up that key, I gave up that slavery to sin. We're going to turn it around. We're going to make a symbol of something positive, a symbol of something good, not a symbol of sin, but a symbol of a commitment that person has made to get out of that sin. And hopefully one day we won't even have to look at it at all. And hopefully that will be very soon. Because the sooner we can put it aside, the sooner we can stop looking at it altogether, the happier I am because I know that that person is on the path of changing. But remember the five triggers. Don't ever forget them and don't ever expose yourself. The attitude being the most important one of all. What attitude should we have? We are sinners saved by grace. We cannot fight the battle alone. Lord God, please overcome in me. Please don't pray. God, help me overcome. God is not your sidekick. God is not a key that winds you up and makes you have success on your own. God is the one fighting a battle for you. So rather, instead of praying, God, please help me overcome, say, God, I need you to overcome that sin in me. I surrender to you. Here's my life. I can't do it. And because I cannot do it, Father, I surrender it. I surrender myself to you. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my time to you. I surrender my places to you. I surrender my things to you. I surrender my friends to you. You win the battle for me. And he will, because he promised that he will. Don't be with that crowd. Change your friends. Say, oh, but that hurts them. <laughs> what are they doing to you? <laughs> are they helping you in any way? Or are they hurting you? And maybe, you know that has happened? It may just be that when they see you going somewhere else, when they see you not going back, they will ask him question, why? And it may just be that months down the road, perhaps, or whenever God allows it, but don't expose yourself too early. You might actually be able to answer and say, you know, I don't go that way anymore. And it may just be that someone else may be on the road for change. But don't have the attitude of a crusade. If you have a drinking problem and just stop drinking two days before, don't go to the bars with a big sign, stop drinking, okay, because you'll be the first victim. And there are people that like to do that too. There are people that like to go on those crusades. Hey, I'm a, I'm a reformed alcoholic, right? One or two weeks after they stop drinking and I can help everybody else overcome. No, you can't. You will expose yourself. And, and, and God inspired the Apostle Paul to remind us, as you're helping others, don't expose yourself to sin because you will fall. Don't go to those places anymore. Change places. Don't stop in the same places. And you know, if your kitchen, if your own kitchen is your, is your trap, don't spend the entire day sitting there. And especially don't sit the entire day sitting there looking at the bottle. 
because you know you will give in. Change your times. Be careful. Be aware of the critical times for temptation. And when that critical time comes, make sure you are not in a condition where you can sin. Rather, be, put yourself in a condition where you absolutely cannot. And when that critical time is over, then you can move on. The book of Proverbs has illustrated that at work with sexual sin. It doesn't just apply to sexual sin. It applies to any other sin. Temptation works in the same way. But remember what Corinthians says. Paul was inspired by God to tell us that with every temptation, God will give us a way of escape. And God is not a liar. With every temptation, God will give you an opportunity to overcome it. He will give you a way out of it so you can endure it. And endure it doesn't mean you're going to be right into it, giving in to the temptation. No, it means that even though you've been exposed to the temptation, you will be able to come out of it without sin. God promised, I will never tempt you. I will never test you. I will never try you more than you can handle. But at the same time, don't ever forget the other part of that statement. When you think you stand, watch out. Because that's exactly when you're going to fall. So brothers and sisters, let's get in the battle. But let's get in the battle in the right way. Let's be aware of those five triggers that Proverbs 7 brings to our attention. And let's use them, not in the negative, but in the positive. Let's use them to, to win this battle. And God, God will let you taste the victory. Because he has already won for you. He has already defeated sin. He has already defeated Satan. He has already defeated temptations. He has already defeated everything that has to be defeated. He's done it already. He can now allow you to taste that victory in him. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so very much for your word. We thank you for the way your word calls us back to you. We thank you for the fact that you have already won that victory. Lord God, that we all seek to have but so many times we just want to enjoy that temptation and in the meantime too we know father from your word that that cannot be you have called us to be overcomers you have called us to be successful in overcoming sin and you have given us all the tools that we need father grant us the ability to remember these five great triggers of temptation give us the ability to see them open our eyes please open our hearts in such a way that we will be able to distinguish them, to discern them, to see them, and avoid them. Change our attitudes. Change our hearts. And make them clean and pure in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.